Welcome to High Heels in Politics with Mary Ann Christie. This is the podcast where current and future leaders discuss the issues facing us in Southwest Ohio and beyond. Here is Mary Ann Christie. Hello, this is Mary Ann Christie, host of High Heels in Politics. Are you tired of those robocalls? What about those renewal fees? Is it possible to ever retrieve money from those scammers? Our lives today are impacted by major changes in the social revolutions that have transpired over the years. The leading issue is high tech. That can either be a blessing or it can be a curse. The Attorney General's Office of Ohio plays a key role with high tech regulations and oversight of fraud, scams, identity theft, and consumer complaints. Our guest today is Attorney General David Yost, who will provide you with some solutions facing you as a consumer. Dave Yost was sworn into the office of Ohio Attorney General January 2019, bringing him extensive experience uncovering corruption and fraud and fighting for government accountability and transparency. Dave graduated from Ohio State with a degree in journalism. He worked as an award-winning newspaper reporter for the Columbus Citizen Journal. Later, he earned his law degree from Capital University and practiced law in Delaware County. His conscientious and hardworking public service earned him the vote by the people of Delaware County to serve for eight years as their prosecutor. During his tenures as prosecutor, he took down the county's largest drug ring. Before being elected Attorney General, Yost served as the Ohio Auditor of State. As auditor, public corruption investigations resulted in more than 170 criminal convictions, and he found more than $260 million in potential taxpayer savings. Our interview with the Attorney General will focus on the issues that confront you as the consumer. How does the AG's office advocate for the consumer, protect the public interest, and how does it investigate offenders that violate your rights? Welcome, Dave, to High Heels and Politics. Let's begin with an explanation of your duties and responsibilities of the AG's office. Well, the Attorney General is the Chief uh, Consumer Protection Officer in Ohio, and among many other duties uh, having to do with upholding the Constitution, representing the state agencies, and fighting for the environment, uh, consumer protection takes up a lot of our time. Well, tell us a bit about what the CAG's office does to protect them from these scam artists. So Ohio has a law called the Consumer Sales Practices Act. And basically what it does is it makes unfair or deceptive trade practices against the law. So we take complaints, thousands of them every year, on everything from shoddy remodeling jobs done on health to defective goods and, you know, lemon cars. We investigate those. We, we usually start with a informal resolution where we try to get a hold of whoever the person on the other side is, and work it out. And we find that a huge number of problems actually come down to bad communication or a misunderstanding. 
by bringing the parties together and giving them sometimes just a little nudge or a little bit of information about the way the law works in Ohio, we can get things resolved informally. In the event that we can't do that, we have the power to go to court and enter a lawsuit or something called a consent decree where the person on the other side says, yeah, I did a lousy job and took the money and, and didn't do the work on the house. So I'm going to pay it back, you know, at $300 a month over the next year or whatever it might be. Our biggest tool is to go to court. We try to resolve things short of court if we can. Well, Dave, you know, one of the problems I find with the Internet is you sign in to purchase something and then a year later they suddenly renew the fees and they say, well, you didn't read the rights that were with this purchase. I find that instead of calling or emailing me and saying, we're renewing your fees, they expect you to have read through all of the rights uh, you have as a consumer. What can you do when you have these automatic renewal fees? Well, I, I have to tell you, I find those pretty annoying myself. I don't, I'm not aware of any law that's currently being proposed to corral this, although we probably ought to have one because, like you say, an awful lot of people end up being sucked into that. The best thing you can do, and I've started doing this because, uh, in fact, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago about, you know, we've got all these music services out there. There's Spotify and Pandora and Apple Music. They all look great, and they're modestly priced, you know, nine bucks a month or something, and you don't ever have to buy another, you know, record album or compact disc. But the problem is... (laughs) They renew automatically, and and this Wall Street Journal story was about people who signed up for this one and then that one, and over the course of five years, they're suddenly spending 50 or 60 dollars a month, a month, every year in and year out for music, and people get surprised because they forgot forgot about that. It's a pain, and it's tedious, but it really makes sense to review your credit card purchases every month. And contest it if somebody renews you on something you didn't want to be renewed on. Well, let me just tell you, I probably argued with them for about five minutes or more. Eventually, I just said, I'm just going to report you to the attorney general's office in Ohio. And guess what? They rescinded those fees for me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you made cybersecurity a top priority during your time as auditor of state. What are you doing now in the Attorney General's office to raise awareness about cybersecurity threats and protect Ohio consumers? Well, we're continuing to talk about it, try to educate the public. Also, our consumer section, consumer protection section, regularly works with Federal Trade Commission and uses our own authority to try to go after these kinds of things. When it comes down to the robocalls, though, and some of the other things, we really are going to need national-level solutions, not state uh, state solutions. We're working together with the attorneys general and the other 50 states, as well as the federal government, to try to implement some nationwide solutions. 
Do you have any suggestions for our listeners about those robocalls? I'll tell you, I probably get anywhere from three to five every day. Yeah, you know, I hate to say this, but the attorney general gets those calls too. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what I do and what I tell every everyone to do uh, is if you don't recognize the number, just don't pick up. If it's somebody who needs to talk to you, they'll leave a message or text you. If it's a robocall, you'll never hear from them again. And that simple rule will save you a lot of time and heartache. Well, I agree, but I just don't answer them either anymore. But so often, a lot of people have different phone numbers, and I just wait for them to leave a, a message on you know, my answering machine. So, <laughs> all right. That's wise. Yeah. Explain what your office is doing investigating Google and Facebook business practices. I'm telling you, we're being inundated with all kinds of ads today on anything that we go on the website. And also, when you go on to Google, asking a question, once again, unless you go to page mm -hmm. two, three, or four, you have mm -hmm. some... Uh, certain answers. So what are you, is the Attorney General's office doing with that issue? Well, I'm, uh, Ohio is part of uh, two working groups nationally. One is a uh, group that's looking at Google and working with the Department of Justice at the federal level. And that has 48 states attorneys general that are, are working on that. The other one is looking at Facebook. I'm part of a nine-state uh, leadership group that's working with the Federal Trade Commission on that inquiry. Now, the law requires me to keep those investigations confidential, but I can tell you that broadly what we're looking at is whether they're using their size in the marketplace to squash competition. You know, it's kind of interesting. One of the traditional ways that we decide whether a monopoly is stomping out competition, which is against the law, is we look at the impacts on the price, availability, and quality of the good or service. So when there's a monopoly, we generally expect the prices will go up, that the availability will become less because there's no competition, it's harder to get, and that the goods you can get or the services you can get are subpar in quality. Well, that's really hard to do in big tech, right? Because how much do you pay for Google? How much do you pay to use Facebook? What's the price? Well, it's free. <laughs> so there's, yes. there's no impact there. The availability, because it's all digital, just, you, you know, it's it quality probably is getting better over time. So the question you know, then becomes, how are we really going to measure this in the digital age? Because I'm not sure the old tests are necessarily going to work. Although I'll tell you this, when it comes to Google and Facebook, you and I are not the consumer. We think we are, but we're not the consumer. You know what we are? We're the product. Huh. But I agree with you. It's a wonderful way to get information, and you're right, it's free. So somebody has to be paying somebody to produce all this information, because 
You can get almost anything you want from anywhere around the world. True. And the people that are paying are the advertisers, and they're buying your information. Fair question is, just because you signed up with Facebook, why should they own all of your data going back to the beginning of time? Why do they get to keep it forever? And I, I think we really need to take a deeper look. Technology is changing our society and the way we live as radically as the steam engine and the railroad transformed the United States during the industrial age. And we need to have some fresh thinking and maybe some fresh rules. It's going to be interesting how we uh, how we adjust uh, to all this technology, and it is affecting all our lives. It affects our jobs, it ex- you know, education, whatever. I'm going to move a little on to another subject, Dave. You've been vocal in calling human trafficking what is modern day s- slavery. Why do you Mm. think it's important to go after the buyers of sex in Ohio? And how will this help you put an end to modern day slavery? There's no market to have a slave if there's no buyer. So by going after the people who are buying the sex, you eliminate the profit motive and the slave master who is selling these young women for a profit. Is there another way? for this product to be on the market that would be legal? See, I don't think think it should ever be legal to buy sex. And here's the reason. How do you know whether the other person is really consenting or not? The way human trafficking works is these traffickers, pimps, whatever you want to call them, they groom, they call it boyfriending. They target a a young woman who is vulnerable in some way. Maybe she's been abused at home. Maybe one of her parents is missing and she's neglected. Maybe she has no friends or is developmentally disabled in some way. So the, the predator will come in and begin paying attention to her, giving her gifts, doing favors for her, giving her a ride to get a burger or go to the mall or go see her friend. And over time, there becomes a, a bond of trust. And eventually, usually they'll use drugs, addictive drugs like Oxycontin or heroin to get them hooked. And a person who's addicted will do anything for their next fix. That's how it descends into the darkest corners of, of human existence and people begin selling their bodies uh, to get the to, to get their next fix. Or uh, after that starts to break down, they'll use force as well. So when a man, and it's almost always a man, is buying sex or sex act from a woman, and she says, "Yeah, I'll do that for that much money," the man has no idea whether her yes actually is a rational decision that this is her best way to get money or whether she's saying yes because if she doesn't, she doesn't get her next fix or because there's a guy in the next room or out in the parking lot in the car with a baseball bat or a knife is going to hurt her. I think that society is justified because of the evil here of saying, 
we're just not going to allow it. If money is changing hands for a sex act, that's a crime. Well, you gave us some great information about why we should, you know, how the whole Sex Slavery Act works and why it isn't uh, in the best interest to go forward in finding a legal way to sell the product. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the big news coming out of your office last week in the fight against Ohio's opiate epidemic. You unveiled two new projects that are aid at preventing people Mm -hmm. from entering the pipeline, the addiction pipeline in the first place. Tell us more about these two new initiatives and what you hope to achieve with them. The first one I got to tell you by way of a story. I had back surgery a number of years ago. They gave me oxycodone when I came out for pain. I only used it for a day or two, and I didn't get addicted. I also have a friend who's a United States Marine, a former Marine, who was injured in the line of duty. They gave him oxycodone, and he got addicted right off the bat. And his life descended into, into insanity. He ended up with a felony conviction. He lost his family and his home and his job because of this crazy addiction. It's not because he doesn't have willpower. It's not because he has no strength of character. The man's a United States Marine. So what's the difference between him and me? I guarantee you I'm not stronger, better, or more courageous. I don't have more willpower than he does. So what happened? Well, science almost uh, tell, scientists tell us that it's almost certainly linked to genetics. So My office is working with the University of Cincinnati and Ohio State University and their emergency rooms to do a study on people who are, who come in, who are addicted to, you know, have a a Narcan incident, if you will, to opiates. And we're going to ask them for a genetic sample and do a computer regression analysis against a control population of people who took it but didn't get addicted and try to figure out what the, what the difference is, what the genetic markers are. And that would be so exciting. I talked to an emergency room physician. She said, every time I treat a patient, I am struggling between wanting to manage their pain and wanting to make sure that I don't create another addict. This could give them a scientific basis to make the decision on how to proceed. That's interesting. So a whole new genetic factors may be entering into this whole thing. Now, are those both of the initiatives you're talking about, or is that just one of the initiatives? Oh, the second initiative is to look at prevention. We talk a lot about education and prevention, but I really think they're two different things. Education is giving us information, but prevention is thinking about how do we avoid new addictions? How do we help people not become addicted? So we've got a multidisciplinary group of scientists from pharmacy and medicine and statistics and nursing and a whole group of scientists who are working on looking through the scientific literature for information that will allow us to, to find strategies and mechanisms to try to reduce the number of new opiate addictions. Because until we can start reducing that number, we're never going to get to the point where we can get our arms around this thing. It's kind of like a big water main break. 
that floods all the streets. You want to try to fix it, but before you can fix it, you got to turn off the water so you can get down to the pipe, right? With the flooding, you'll never get anywhere. And that's where we are right now. We're trying to deal with the flood, and we've got to stop the source of the water so we can get it cleaned up. Well, that's very interesting. I know you know, our listeners are grateful for your work and the reasons why you need to continue. Dave, in closing, how can our listeners contact your office, whether it's a question in the consumer division or any other division in the AG's office? Marianne, I started by listing some of the many, many things the Attorney General's office does, but you pull it all together in summary. What it means is our job is to try to protect the unprotected. And we have a help center. It does it. You don't have to go fishing in the bureaucracy. We've got one number you can call and people that are trained to figure out where we need to go in the attorney general's office or elsewhere at state government. So that number, if, if you want to get a, a pencil to write it down out there, now's the time to get that pencil because you can either go to our website, which is ohioattorneygeneral.gov, or call us. Uh, a live human being will either answer your call or call you right back. And that number is 800-282-0515. Can I tell you a little secret, Mary? Yes. This isn't, this isn't known out there, but I'm going to tell you for your listeners, every once in a while, about every four to six weeks, I carve out a couple hours my schedule and I go down to the help center and get on the phone, and I take calls so that I can hear uh, directly from the citizens of Ohio what's happening to them. If you call that, you never know. You might hear, if, you, if somebody says, Ohio Attorney General's office, Dave, you might be talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, I'm going to repeat that number. It's 800 0515 just, That's it. Thank you so much for sharing with our listeners what the Attorney General's office does. And this is why you're such a great public servant. You really try to keep contact constantly with the people. You don't just win an office and disappear. We want to thank you again and look it's forward. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was a, a great interview with Attorney General David Yost. I want to thank you, the listeners, and hope you found this information useful. The benefits of this podcast is that it gives you a chance to get in-depth information, as you just heard, about what the Attorney General's office does that you generally can't get through any other media. And the big thing is, is this is free. This podcast is free. You can tune in to High Heels and Politics anytime, anywhere. So listeners, I encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and acquaintances. Just go to the website, www.highheelsandpolitics.com. We at High Heels and Politics would like to hear from you. Did you find the interview interesting, informative, thought-provoking? I need your input for future topics and guests. 
you have any comments, please email me, Christie at highheelspolitics at gmail.com. Again, highheelspolitics at gmail.com. I just want to talk to you for a moment. Our previous guest was probate court judge Ted Winkler, who gave tremendous amount of information about the different workings of the probate court that help people, not only with estates, but with adoption and marriages, etc. And guess what? Our next guest will be Lieutenant Governor John Houston. He's going to talk to you about what does the Lieutenant Governor's Office do and Ohio jobs. You can find High Heels and Politics wherever you find your podcast. For example, Apple's or Google podcast app. Make sure you press the subscribe button when you get to our podcast so you can be the first to get our newest episodes. If you have any questions about high heels and politics or you want information about creating your own podcast, contact my executive producer, Ryan Kulik. My thanks to producer Pam Gross and Ryan Kulik You can email Ryan at ryan at ioncommunity.com or just phone him, 513-600-8077. Again, 513-600-8077. Thank you for your time and interest. High Heels and Politics with Marianne Christie is produced and engineered by Ion Community. Music by Sharad Sate. Subscribe and listen wherever you find your podcasts.